Hey guys, today we are going to be chatting about HR1, aka the For the People Act, and we're going to learn who these people are that this is for and what can we do about it, why it's important. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Okay, HR1 for the People Act. I am just stumped on this bad boy, because... We have to go back a minute here to give you some groundwork as to why I care about this and why you should care about this and why this matters in our country right now. So first of all, I kind of like I shared with on the last episode before a year ago, before the last six months, I was kind of aware of things, but not obsessive, not super into the details about the inner workings of the various bills going through Congress, right? And perhaps it's just because I wasn't concerned about it. I didn't feel like, you know, things were going to be used against me or taken away from me. Perhaps that's why I didn't find myself involved. And maybe that's the case for you. But what grabbed me and what got me involved in this whole shenanigans is this last election cycle. On November 3rd, I was watching the election, you know, on the news as it was unfolding. We already had been, you know, pre-prepared to um, not expect results on November 3rd, which is kind of the weirdest thing ever, because we've always, always known who our president is going to be on election day. Now, given the COVID-19 pandemic, we, you know, got to expand mail-in voting, and a lot of people used that option, and it was unusual, and so that's why we were meant to expect this delay on what was, you know, supposed to be a single-day event. <laughs> it became a multi-week, very lengthy, all the way up till today, still debated and contested election, right? So why did that happen? How did that happen? And what? how is HR1 just a disaster if you felt like not knowing who your president was or, you know, having to navigate, wait, what's going on? There's lawsuits. There's lawsuits being dismissed. There's dueling electors. Like, what the heck happened? Basically, it was, it was a crazy situation. And if you were just watching the news, you might have missed the details. You might have missed the meat and potatoes of what was happening with this election, but it was a complete disaster. And statistically, this 2020 election cycle has eroded the confidence that the majority of Americans have in our electoral system and in our electoral process, which is so sad. It's so sad. And I'm one of those Americans who has statistically been had my confidence eroded in this whole system. I already was nervous about the two-party system. I already, you know, had participated in a third party, voting for a third party as a protest to the way that elections are run in our country. But I had no idea it could be as crazy and as bad (laughs) as this last election. I wrote a blog about it 
and I'll link it here in the show notes so you can read a little bit more in detail about the specifics to what, what I'm talking about and how it was a disaster and why. But ultimately, you guys, and this might also be something that you know about me if you know me personally, this election and the days that followed, I ended up watching I would say about 95% of the various state Senate hearings live. Uh, The Arizona state Senate hearing, for example, was 10 hours long. I meant to watch just the first 20 minutes and got sucked into it and watched all 10 hours live (laughs) because I'm that girl. Okay. So I can tell you just from watching the information come from the horse's mouth, so to speak, there was a lot of questions and none of those questions were answered in an adequate way. The, the one thing I hear often is that the courts have dismissed these cases and therefore there was no evidence or there was no merit to the evidence of, we'll call, we'll call it shenanigans because you can't use the F word. Um, let's call it shenanigans involving this election cycle. But the truth of the matter is, you guys, that most of those cases were dismissed due to standing which means you are not the appropriate person to bring this lawsuit or latches, which means there was some sort of a delay in what they considered a timely, you know, a timely manner of bringing the lawsuit. Very, very few, a small handful of the over 70 cases that were brought uh, over this last election were dismissed due to merit, meaning that any of the evidence was even looked at by a judge. The Supreme Court, for example, did not look at any of the evidence. So there has not been any given answers. There has not been any clarity. There has not been any um, any correction so that we have some confidence moving forward that the, what happened in the last election won't happen again. Now, this led me and my husband to be in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. I will do a whole nother podcast about that day and that event. But what I can tell you is I was not there because of Donald Trump. I was there because that was the vote in our Congress where six states, seven states, seven states had dueling electors, which means they could have picked the electors for Donald Trump or they could have picked the electors for Joe Biden in seven states. They they could not determine clearly who was the winner of that state due to all of the lawsuits and the questions and the conflicts and the shenanigans. They couldn't determine clearly because of all of the pending legal issues who was the rightful winner of those states. Now, as January 6th came to pass, Congress was voting. Most of the Court cases, there were still court cases pending in all of those states, so it was still very unclear. And there was a lot of options as to how that day could have unfolded in terms of the votes. And so I went, my husband and I went to D.C. to stand outside because I believe that it is hard to do things (laughs) when people are watching. It is hard to do um, shady things when you know that people are outside holding you accountable. So my hope was that there would be a lot of people that would show up in D.C. and that we would put this um, accountability around that building that, hey, you guys are meant to represent the voice of your constituents. 
And there is a great majority of this country that feels like we need a better situation than this. We need better answers. We need clarity. We need to understand what happened. We need transparency and we don't have it. And so that was why I went on January 6th. And also, as I've said before, I went to pray because I believe in that. I believe in divine intervention. I believe in corporate prayer. And there was a number of Christians and there was tons of prayer and evangelizing going on that day. And it was a really wonderful, beautiful experience. From my perspective, which was, you know, obviously void of any of the violence that happened later in that day. So I feel very strongly about this because I figured as I've had to make peace moving out of January 6th and, you know, past the inauguration and whatnot, that we didn't get our answers. We didn't get the transparency in this election cycle that we all had hoped for. And we still don't have the answers, but in the very least... I can just hope and pray that COVID-19 will be a distant memory four years from now. So the next time we have an election cycle, we can eliminate a lot of the things that were put in place in 2020 due to the pandemic. They'll be gone. They'll be done. And we can go back to feeling confident about our elections. We'll just call this one a fluke. Well, that's where HR1 comes in, guys. And HR1 refers to, there's a number of HR1 bills, and it refers to the first bill introduced in this current Congress, the one we have right now. And HR1 means it is the number one priority. It is the first bill that was introduced. And you guys, let me just remind you that in 2020, in this election cycle, with all the you know lack of transparency and a lot of issues and no answers given and no clarity given, the presidency, the Senate, and the House all remain, the House remains, and the Senate and the presidency switched to a Democratic control or majority, control in the, in the White House, obviously, and majority in the Senate, with uh, our vice president being the tiebreaker. So the Senate is currently 50-50. There are 100 Senate seats, two senators allotted for each state. And this is a beautiful protection under our Constitution that regardless the size of your state, regardless the size of your population, you get two senators. And senators are kind of considered the upper chamber of Congress. This is like the House is the lower chamber and things go through the House first and then they have to come to the Senate. And it's much harder to get things through the Senate. And I am grateful coming from a small state of you know, in Tennessee, that I have equal representation in that upper chamber as a state like California or Texas, a huge state, right? So this matters. But currently, the Senate after the 2020 election cycle is 50 senators that are Democratic and 50 senators that are Republican. And so the vice president is that tiebreaker vote. So we can say Democrats currently hold the majority in the House, in the Senate, and of course, they have the White House. So that shifted in 2020, right? So it makes me a little bit nervous to know that the very first thing that the House brings to the table on the Democratic side of the aisle is election reform. And what is in this election reform? It is an 800-page bill, 800-page bill, and and it is going to legalize the very issues we had in the last election. It is going to make permanent the things that became pit holes in the 2020 election cycle. Things like mass mail-in balloting, okay? This is the thing I'm going to focus on, and I wrote a blog about this also that I'll link in the show notes. 
But the mail-in voting was one of the larger clusters of the 2020 election. And again, that be, that kind of came to pass because of the pandemic and, you know, people using the excuse that they were too nervous to go to a polling place and cast their vote, right? Despite the fact that there's ample early voting opportunity where you can spread out, you can go at, uh, in, you know, at a time of day where most people are working or whatever. There's lots of opportunity to avoid crowds. And personally, you can maybe disagree. I don't think it's challenging to vote. I don't think it's hard. I go, I register to vote, right? And once I register, I'm registered. I don't have to change unless I move. And when I go to vote, I show up, wait in a short line, show my ID, verify my signature, cast my vote. The whole thing's over and done with in 15, 20 minutes. It has not ever been a challenge for me. And it doesn't cost any money. And there's districts all over the place and polling places all over the place where it's really accessible. There's usually a place to vote very near your residence. It is not challenging to vote. But the the motive behind this bill is that it's hard to vote. And we need to make this more accessible. We need to mail a ballot. First of all, they're, they're saying in this new bill, everyone is automatically registered to vote. So this is the same as no one is registered to vote, right? It's the same thing. If you automatically register everyone, then why do we even have registration? (laughs) Why do we have registration? Because what registering to vote indicates is I am a voter who intends to participate in the system. So you have to take that step to say, I am going to register because I am going to vote. I am going to participate in the system. If you register everybody automatically, it takes away that agreement, if you will, with the voter. So why on earth are we even registering? It completely dilutes and, you know, there's no necessity for the step of registering to vote if everybody gets to vote, If or I should say, if everybody gets to be automatically registered. So that's issue number one. Then, because everybody is automatically registered, when it comes time to vote, everyone is mailed a ballot. Every single registered voter, which is everybody automatically, gets sent a ballot in the mail. Now, we know and have argued for years and years that mail-in balloting is the most vulnerable form of voting because if those those ballots can be intercepted, right? I may never get my mail-in ballot because it could be intercepted by a number of people on its way from wherever it's coming from to me. I don't know if you've ever had something stolen in the mail. I have had many things stolen in the mail, both through the postal service, through UPS, FedEx, being left on my doorstep, being left in my mailbox. I've had a Tiffany's box being ripped open. I got the box delivered in my mailbox, but I did <laughs> the thing inside had been taken out. So there is a number of ways that that ballot may never even make it to me. And once I fill it out and send it in, there is zero chain of custody. There is zero way to know that I was the person who actually filled that out because we'll be eliminating signature validation. We're eliminating a witness signature. So any old person could find a ballot and vote and they could vote many times. This is the problem that we had in the 2020 election cycle. And it is it blows my mind that this would even be suggested and that it would be even kind of sort of something that would pass you guys. So you have to ask yourself, why is this the number one priority? Why, when we just came into an election, came through an election where we severely impaired people's confidence in the election process due to these very things, then we eliminate it 
the ability to talk about it through mass censorship. You are not allowed to say the F word. You are not allowed to talk about it. Radio hosts were banned from speaking about it after January 6th. Anyone who's talking about it is basically a domestic terrorist. How dare you? We're the problem. The people talking about it are the problem because we're the ones eroding the confidence. And then the number one priority is a bill that would essentially instill the power people that are in the power now to stay in the power, you guys. That's the motivation here. And this is so alarming to me because one, if you are someone on the left side, this might sound like, well, I would love that if Democrats were in power forever and ever. But I just want to caution you to not be short-sighted because a bill like this can be abused by both sides. And let's say that the Republicans used this bill to use these new laws to essentially confiscate that power back in an illegal or in this case, very legal, but completely, in my opinion, corrupted way of gaining power. And then they didn't let go of it. Right. So it works in both ways. If we give this kind of authority, we have a state house and a state Senate in every one of our states. That is who gets to decide how the state votes, what are the laws, what are the rules, what are the stipulations? That is our constitutional standard currently. This bill eliminates that and it federalizes elections. Now, try calling the IRS, see how that goes. That is a federalized system. Try calling the post office, try getting a hold of like a package that is lost. I've done this many times. It is not easy. So to federalize the election is to put it in the wrong hands. I totally appreciate that the authority over elections currently resides in each state to decide what works best for their constituents. You guys, we need more localized authority and less federal authority, okay? If you are a big government person, that's fine. We can meet in the middle if that big government is going to be state. <laughs> it's going to be more state-led. We just have no influence as as voting participants as constituents when things are federalized okay so first question why is this the top priority second how is this allowed when our constitution says that the power should be with the states this is federalizing it right so that's a problem don't love that so let's talk for a minute about these mass ballots and how this bill will affect that if this is the wave of the future. There will be no tracking of this ballot making it to you or making it back. So we're, again, eliminating the chain of custody, which currently in our elections, and this is something that was compromised in 2020, they're meant to, as soon as you fill out your ballot, it is meant to be guarded so that it cannot be changed, tampered with, manipulated until it is counted. This will be eliminated. It's gone in mail-in balloting. It's gone. We're not, we don't have it, right? It also eliminates ID, right? And I know that this has been positioned as a racist idea to ID voters, but you guys, I have to show my ID to do a number of things like buy alcohol or buy cigarettes or um, go into a bar. <laughs> I've never been accused of being racist to show my ID to go into and do any of those things. So why on earth when this most civilly important thing, would it be weird to have to show an ID so that I only get one vote, right? That's the point is I want to show my ID. So yes, you know, I'm allowed to vote, but also so that I only get one vote that's going to be eliminated. 
This is just going to make elections a cluster so much worse than what we saw in 2020. And it makes me sad and it makes me concerned. And so I want to I wanted to put this podcast together just so you guys have a, a basis of understanding. This is this bill has already passed the House of Representatives. They've already voted yet. It has an uphill battle in the Senate because a vote like this or a bill like this takes a 60 vote count in order to pass. It's it's uh, part of the filibuster, if you're familiar with that term. But basically, um, the Democrats having majority in all of these branches of government want to eliminate the filibuster and make it a simple majority vote, which means it would go straight along party lines, which means they would not have to have a single Republican agree with them, which means it would be, in my opinion, an authoritative situation. You know you have the power, you know you have the sway, and you're using it as a weapon against the American people, and you don't even care if the people who are represented by the opposite side of the aisle are on board. Don't even need a single Republican to say yes if it were a simple majority vote, but currently it's meant to be a 60 vote, which means they need 10 Republicans to come on board with this bill. I think that's unlikely. And what's also great, and this is a call to action, is there are two senators on the Democratic side of the aisle who I am so grateful for and admire so much because they're not willing to compromise their values, at least not yet. And they're saying we will not vote to eliminate the filibuster. We will not vote. We will not allow for the the 60 vote minimum to be eliminated. And their names are Joe Manchin, and he's from West Virginia, and Kristen Sinema from Arizona. If you live in either of these states, or even if you don't, I'm personally going to email them several times between now and the vote, which is soon. The vote in the Senate will be soon on this bill. But I'm going to email them, and I'm going to say thank you. I'm not one of your constituents, and I'm not a member of the Democratic Party, nor might I say am I a member of the Republican Party. (laughs) I am not in favor of this bill, but I'm grateful, even if you vote yes for it, I'm grateful that you are holding the line and not allowing for a simple majority to go down on bills like this, because these are big deal bills. This is an 800-page bill. It should be read. It should be debated. It should be filibustered. It shouldn't pass. But in the very least, it should, in the bare minimum, require that both sides of the aisle, to some extent, agree that this is the way that it should go down. So I would encourage you to email or call those two senators, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, and tell them thank you and encourage them to hold the line. Right. Even if you are on that side of the aisle, as I said. And you feel like you're excited about the potential of Democrats being in charge of all branches of government all the time. I would just caution you. There's a three branch government for a reason. So that's action step number one. Action step number two, if you are in a Democratic state and you have a Democratic senator. I would ask that you would email them, especially if you are not a Democrat and ask for them to be your representative also, because they were elected and they were elected by the majority, but they still represent you as a constituent. Even if you're not on the same side of the aisle, make sure your voice is heard. This is an easy step. This is an easy action step. Type out an email, give them a call, do both, 
do both regularly, <laughs> but make your voices heard and make sure that they know that this isn't just going to go down without anybody being upset about it. This isn't going to go unnoticed, right? They want um, the, the beautiful thing about elected officials is that they have to be elected again, right? And although that this bill would allow for our our um, presidential election to be federalized, they're still going to need the support of local voters for their job to be protected. So they still have loyalty to you. They still have to hear what you're saying. And if enough voices, and this was uh, many senators I heard, but specifically Josh Hawley, who was one, of, he was the first senator who agreed to step forward on January 6th and, and contest the vote going down the way that it went down. Very grateful. I think he's a very brave man. He said that he had never had so many emails and so many calls come in over any issue over the way that the election had gone down in 2020. He's like, I had never heard from my constituents so much as I did leading up to that vote. That's what we need. We need them to hear from their constituents. So that's my call to action for you guys. That's what's going down. This will be voted on in the Senate very soon, anytime. I'm not sure. I tried to look up yesterday when it when it's scheduled to be voted on, but it's soon. It's already past the House. It's time to make our voices heard, guys. Thanks for plugging in. See you next time. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com.